Story 7 of Elsie and the Child, A Tale of Riceyman's Steps, and Other Stories, by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 7, The Yacht. 1. When Mrs. Alice Thorpe, with her black Pomeranian, arrived at the yard from the railway station, she at once picked out a small motor launch among the boats that were bobbing about the steps and said, Is this Mr. Thorpe's? "'Yes'm,' said the sailor in charge of the launch. She signaled to a lad who lingered in the rear with her valise perched on his head. The valise was dropped into the forward part of the launch. Mrs. Thorpe gave the boy sixpence and placed herself and dog neatly in the stern sheets. The engine suddenly began to fire and throb with great velocity and noise, and the launch threaded out from the concourse of craft into the middle of the creek, leaving a wake of boiling foam. There had been no delay, no misunderstanding, no bungling, no slip. The telegraphic arrangement for taking Mrs. Thorpe on board the yacht had worked to perfection. Efficiency reigned. Aged twenty-seven, slim, not tall, Alice was a capable woman. Her eyes had the capable look which many men dislike, for while they appreciate the conveniences of efficiency in a girl, they seem to prefer the efficiency to be modestly masked by an appearance of helplessness. Alice neither disguised nor flaunted the fact that she was capable. Her eyes had also the look of one accustomed to give orders that were obeyed. The dog was supposed to be the only Pomeranian on earth not given to habitual yapping. Alice had purged it of the hereditary Pomeranian curse by replying instantly to every yap with a sound smack on the head. She adored the dog, which was passionately and exclusively devoted to her, after the manner of Pomeranian ladies to their mistresses. This Pomeranian's mistress, if not beautiful, was attractive, especially in figure and in clothes. She was a fine dancer, with a body that always surprised her partners by its extraordinary yieldingness, responsiveness, and flexibility. A man having danced with her for the first time would remember her physical elasticity for days, to say nothing of her sudden eager smiles that puckered all the skin round her eyes. "'Which is the yacht?' asked Alice of the sailor." He was tidily dressed, but had an untidy mop of red hair escaping from his white cap and a shapeless, ugly face, and his manner was somewhat gruff. She knew that he must be Peter, the steward and handyman, her husband's favorite, more than once referred to with laudation in her husband's letters. She did not care for him, and had already decided that he did not care for her, but she smiled amiably. "'Hers lying at the mouth of the creek and the river,' said Peter, pointing. "'Rot her, that catch with the blue ensign at the mizzen.' Alice looked in vain along the vista of yachts and other craft in the creek. She did not know what a mizzen was, nor that the blue ensign was a flag. She fancied, indeed, that an ensign was a sort of three-cornered thing. Peter's incomprehensible indication, however, merely increased her sense of mystery and expectancy.' The moment was thrilling for her. She had met her husband when both of them were in uniform in France. She had married him in London, impulsively, because they were mad for each other. A week later he had been tragically swept off to Mesopotamia. Then, having got out of uniform, she had become organizing secretary to a political body, and had had to go to America on its business. 
During her absence, James Thorpe had received unexpected leave, but her tyrannous conscience would not allow her to depart from the United States until her work was done, and she exulted in her work. Some caprice of the political body ended it in an hour by cable. She had obtained a berth on a Liverpool-bound liner the very next day. She might have cabled the grand news to her husband, but she found somewhere in her mind a piquant pleasure in the notion of surprising him. She surprised him by a telegram from Liverpool. She knew that he was out of the army and in business. The unconventional wording of his reply to her telegram enchanted her, besides providing diversion for telegraph operators who were not easily diverted. He was yachting alone. She remembered vaguely that he possessed a yacht, laid up for five years, and had spoken very enthusiastically of yachting. Of course, he had been for meeting her in London, but she would have none of it. You shall receive me on your yacht, she had telegraphed. As she was an expert organizer, and he was an expert organizer, the arrangements following this decision of hers were easy enough. She was now afraid, and her fear was romantic and terrible. The creek was alarmingly short. The launch surged at an alarming speed through the dappled blue water. She had not seen her lover, who was incidentally her husband, for nearly two years. She knew him by his photographs, his handwriting, his turns of phrase, and the memory of his gestures and of the feel of his moustache. But did she know him? Would he prove on further acquaintance to be somebody quite other than the image established in her heart? The situation was acutely disconcerting as she approached it. She stroked the dog's silky hair, and the dog glanced up at her face. "'That's her,' said Peter to the composed and prim young lady opposite him, pointing again. She almost exclaimed, "'It's a very small yacht, isn't it?' but restrained herself. The yacht's stem was pointing up creek against the ebb tide. Peter seemed to steer the launch very queerly. He was apparently passing the yacht. She caught sight of a name on a lifebuoy hung in the yacht's rigging. The name was Alice. But I thought the yacht was called Hermes, she said. Gubner had her name changed last month, gloomily answered Peter, as it were with resentment. Peter was preoccupied with the maneuvering of the launch on the tide, and Alice perceived that he knew exactly what he was doing. The nose of the launch edged towards the yacht's side. The launch seemed to hang in the current. Then it slowly swung round, the propeller stopped, and the whole affair came gently to rest against dazzlingly white cushiony fenders and a polished stairway, from the top of which hung two dazzlingly white ropes. The yacht had grown enormous. Its bulwark rose high above the tiny launch, and it was as solid and moveless as a rock. And now he's called it Alice, said Alice to herself, and the situation appeared to be rather disconcerting. 2. Her husband loomed perpendicularly over her. Hello, he cried, saluting. She answered in a weak voice, so well, her face was burning. She seized the white ropes and tripped neatly up the stairway, and the blanched deck of the yacht stretched out firm and vast, and tall Jim clutched at her hand. "'Come below and see the saloon,' he murmured. 
he pushed her to a mahogany staircase under the main boom and no sooner were they out of sight of the deck than he kissed her with rather more than his old accustomed violence and the situation was acutely disconcerting again but differently there was a pattering of innumerable little feet on the staircase and the dog who under excitement produced in human ears the illusion that she was a centipede and not a quadruped bounded into the saloon oh fifi i'd forgotten you jim this is fifi the dog sprang into her arms and jim praised the dog highly and stroked her husband and wife sat side by side in the saloon and talked rather self-consciously about nothing which was rather strange seeing that each of them had ten thousand exciting matters to impart to the other still it was all right alice knew it was all right and she knew that jim knew it was all right they were strangers in one way and the most intimate of intimates in another it might be said that the saloon held four people not two oh what's that funny thing alice demanded pointing to a very complicated kind of dial with a finger on it that was screwed face downwards to the saloon ceiling that oh that's a compass so that i can see the course of the ship when i'm having my meals but the finger's moving right round then you may be sure the yacht's moving right around too then we are off already and jim said in his stern sardonic tone didn't you hear the anchor being hauled up can't you feel the propeller the fact was that alice had not noticed the loud clacking of the anchor chain her powers of observation having been temporarily impaired by the surpassing interests of her own private sensations as for the propeller she had in a vague manner been aware of a general vibration but had not attributed it to anything in particular she did not even know that the yacht possessed a propeller jem took her by the shoulders and they ran up on deck the yacht was gliding out to sea magically formidably by its own secret force for the sails were not yet set the entire adventure was ecstatic incredibly romantic alice had never been so happy so troubled so restless i do want to see all the rooms said she like a curious child you shall are you given to being seasick i have never been seasick in my life the capable woman replied with confidence jim's keen eyes wandered over her admiringly no he murmured you aren't the sort that's seasick you aren't they descended again to the saloon a beautiful tea with real crockery and brilliant electroplate and real cakes and real cream all set out upon a brass tray lay on the table oh pete's served the tea good will you pour out you must you're the mistress of this wigwam she poured out as she leaned an elbow on the table the table tipped downwards under the pressure of her arm she gave a little squeal all right all right jim reassured her grandly pete's taken the pin out you know leaves the table free to oscillate when the boat rolls it's weighted with lead underneath so it can't swing far oh i see of course said alice who however was not completely reassured things were not after all quite what they seemed she admired tremendously the internal arrangements of the yacht they were so cosy they were so complete the most homelike thing she had ever seen she visited every bit of the home there was the saloon or drawing-room and there were a large double sleeping cabin and a small single one 
Also, there was a tiny bathroom. The multiplicity of cupboards and drawers delighted her. Only in Utopia could she have imagined there would be so many cupboards and drawers. And there was electric light. And there were electric bells. You rang a bell, and it was answered just as it would have been in a real house, but much more promptly. Indeed, life on the yacht might be described as playing at perfect housekeeping. Everything had a place, and everything had to be in its place, and every place was full, except the drawers and the mirrored wardrobe reserved for the use of the mistress of the floating home. In the pantry, every cup was hung on a hook. Every wine glass was lightly wedged in a fitting so that it could not dash itself against another wine glass, and the same with saucers and plates. One surmised that even if the yacht were to turn upside down, nothing would break. And the organism was complete in itself and sufficient to itself. Before dinner, Jim said, Like a cocktail, beloved infant? The notion of a cocktail appealed to her as something wild and wicked. Ah, oh, why not? said she, and Jim rang a bell. Two cocktails, Pete. In about two minutes, Peter, in a white jacket, brought two cocktails out of the mysteries of the forecastle where the pantry was. If Jim had ordered two nectars, doubtless Pete would have produced them. The dinner was very sound. It was strictly plain. Oxtail soup, tinned, herring, roast mutton, potatoes, rice pudding. But it was sound. Alice admitted that Pete, for all his defects, could not merely cook meat well, he could buy good meat. But she pointed out to Jim that Pete did not know how to lay the table properly. The fellow had put the fish knife and fork within the meat knife and fork, and at Jim's suggestion she pointed out the sad lapse to Pete personally with a bright smile. Pete received the correction with a tranquillity too perfect, indicating by his nonchalant demeanor that if it pleased Madame to have the meat knife and fork within the fish knife and fork, he had no objection to obliging her, but that for himself his soul was above trifles. Pete had been Jim's batman for nearly three years in the war, and Jim spoke with quiet enthusiasm of his qualities. Alice, however, did not quite see what that had to do with the knife and fork question. They went on deck. The yacht was now at anchor in another estuary, whose quiet waters were full of phosphorescence. A dinghy, moving towards another yacht close by, threw up marvellous silver fireworks at every stroke of the oars. The night was obscure and warm and incredible. A radiance came from the saloon skylight, and a brighter radiance, sharply rectangular, from the open hatch of the forecastle. The crew, four human beings, could be heard talking in the depths of the forecastle. The old skipper appeared and made an inspection in the gloom, and Jim addressed him as skipper with affectionate respect, though he was not but a fisherman in winter, and spoke with a terrific Essex accent. The skipper disappeared. When next Alice glanced round, there was no radiance and no sound from the forecastle. The crew had gone to bed. She and Jim were alone in the vast and miraculous world, enveloped by the poetry of water and sky. 3. Nevertheless, the next morning, in the double cabin, when she awoke very early in the twilight, that singular young woman was not utterly happy. That is to say, she was utterly happy, but at the same time she was unhappy. 
her heart being a huge place where all kinds of contradictory emotions could roam in comfort without interfering with each other jim was not in his berth through the open skylight across which a horizontal blue blind was drawn she could hear him chatting with the skipper jim disturbingly friendly with his crew look lively with the tea pete he cried out very good sir in another minute she could hear him sipping tea in enormous sips she had an impression that he was seated in pajamas and dressing-gown on the very skylight itself the floating home then had already begun to function very perfectly for the day it was precisely the perfect functioning of the organism that upset her every contrivance in it was a man's contrivance woman had had naught to do with its excellence it would function with the same perfection whether she happened to be there or not it was orderly it was comfortable it was luxurious and men had accomplished it and were maintaining it all by themselves and the five males appeared to have an understanding among themselves as if they belonged to a secret monastic or masonic order she was outside the understanding she was a woman ornamental no doubt but unnecessary well she resented this in her great happiness and she petted fifi who was curled within her arm and fifi resented it also so that the next afternoon alice had a headache it was a genuine headache of which the symptoms were genuine pain in the forehead and a general sense of impending calamity considering a headache to be the proper thing at this juncture she had desired to have a headache and she had a headache for she was a capable and thoroughly efficient woman hence with fifi she went and lay down in her bunk in the big cabin and parted from jim at the door thereof telling him that she did not want him to tuck her up she noticed that the general sense of impending calamity had already affected jim's gaze and she resented that what justification had jim to assume that all was not for the best on board of an ideal yacht seeing that her behaviour towards him had been pluperfect he had no justification therefore he was in the wrong in her happiness she gave herself up to unhappiness and yet her second marriage it must be deemed her second marriage to jim the first having been an experiment a prelude an overture to the authentic union her second marriage was unquestionably a success she was mad about him he was mad about her she admired his character he admired hers she knew that he was the man for her and she the woman for him nothing could have been more propitious more delicious more exciting more solidly sure but she gave herself up to unhappiness because she felt herself unnecessary to the smooth working of the material organism in which she lived and also because she felt herself to be outside the monastic or masonic order of five mutually comprehending males and here was the selfsame woman who had commanded hundreds of fellow-creatures in france saying to them go and they went and come and they came and who had positively frightened a british political body and startled big wigs in new york by the calm unsentimental power of her horse sense most of the persons with whom she had come into contact would have been ready to assert that where a woman's heart usually is she carried a bundle of pure sagacity and none would have admitted that she could be subject to fancies 
if those people whose respect she had extorted could have seen the charming little creature as she lay all wires and springs and nerves in the bunk and if they could have looked inside her head marriage is a most mysterious developer the worst of it was that fifi encouraged alice in her morbidity fifi understood she did not argue she did not even yap but the glance of her eyes was a plain statement of the thesis you are always right and when the created universe is out of tune with you the created universe needs altering then alice became aware of a vibration which increased till it affected the entire ship the bunk the water-glass the skylight the pillow the mattress her toes her temples the propeller was propelling never before had the propeller been set to work while alice was lying in her bunk why was the propeller now propelling the weather was magnificent the sun slanted into the cabin the water was calm did not everybody know that she had a headache and was trying to rest it was an outrage that the propeller should be set to work in such circumstances soon the propeller was doing more than revolve behind the stern post of the yacht it was revolving right inside her poor head she could not and would not stand it she rang the bell a red head appeared in the doorway come in come in she said pettishly but the redhead, timid in spite of campaigns would not come in yes um oh please ask mr thorpe to have that propeller stopped peter merely laughed a sort of contemptuously amused grin and shut the door the propeller was not stopped in five minutes which seemed rather like a century there was nothing else on earth for alice save the propeller it became the sole mundane phenomenon it was revolving not only in her head but in every part of her lithe and attractive body it monopolized her attention her intelligence and her emotions it had been going on from everlasting and it would go on to everlasting as a method of torture it rivalled and surpassed the most devilish inventions of the holy office at toledo it was the very thing to manufacture lunatics why had not jim had the propeller stopped he owned the yacht if you could not silence your own propeller what point was there in owning a yacht enormous and inexplicable events were passing on deck bumps thuds sudden rushes of feet shouts bangs rattlings thunderlings clackings but none of the five members of the monastic or masonic order showed the least interest in alice and her aching head ah oh, the door of the cabin opened better asked jim standing by the side of her bunk he was perspiring no she said tea time come and have tea on deck do you good no she said shall i bring it to you here no she said at that moment the propeller stopped at last breathed alice sardonically and even bitterly if you've got a headache it's the most horrible torment one can imagine i rang for peter hours ago and asked him to tell you to stop it oh i'm so sorry my dove but you see the propeller couldn't be stopped we are going up the backwater against the ebb and it's some ebb believe me wind fell to nothing if we'd stopped the propeller we should certainly have drifted on to a mud bank blackwater's full of em and stuck there till next tide we might have heeled over and filled as the tide fell ticklish thing a boat drawing eight feet odd on a falling tide in a river like the blackwater 
Well, I think someone might have told me. I'm quite capable of understanding, though perhaps you mayn't think it. Jim's eyes glittered. My child, I never thought for a moment. Just so, just so, and let me tell you, your Peter's extremely rude. When I asked him, do you know what he did? He just laughed, his horrid, sarcastic grin. And I'll thank you to speak to him about his manners to me. Jim did a surprising thing. He laughed heartily. Well, of course it would strike Peter as comic, asking for the propeller to be stopped in a dead calm against an ebb tide in this old black water. He laughed when he came on deck and told me. It appealed to a sense of humor. And I suppose you all laughed, said Alice sharply, in a loud tone. You would. She raised herself too violently on one elbow, and her delightful misguided head struck the ceiling above the bunk. "'Awfully sorry, darling,' said Jim, very quietly. But whether he was sorry about Peter's enormity, or sorry merely about the detail of the head-bumping, Alice could not decide. At any rate, the bumping of her head rendered her furious, and, quaintly enough, quite cured the headache. "'Peter is a fool,' she almost shouted. "'Hush!' Jim murmured grimly, and dangerously. And at the same time the skipper's voice was heard on deck, let out a couple of fathoms more chain, Charlie. Alice's brain grasped the great truth that if she could hear the skipper, the skipper and crew could hear her, and the still greater truth that voice-raising in anger was impossible on that yacht without open scandal. She would have given about ten pounds for the privilege of one unrestrained scream. Jim whispered uncompromisingly, Pete certainly isn't a fool. Also, he's a particular friend of mine. An awful silence descended upon the yacht, and in the silence the yacht's clock, placed over the saloon stairs, could be heard ticking with uncanny loudness. In the late afternoon and early evening, Alice ranged and raged about the vessel, chewing the cud of the discovery that there was no real privacy aboard. There was privacy from eyes, and plenty of it, but there was absolutely no privacy from ears if you raised your tone beyond a certain degree. And Alice wanted to raise her tone above a certain degree. She wanted to do that more than she wanted to do anything else in the world. She examined the dispositions of the yacht again and again with no satisfactory result. It was sixty feet from end to end of its wonderful deck, and it was full of secret compartments, but it held no compartment in which a grand quarrel, row, and upset could be comfortably conducted according to the rules of such encounters. As a honeymoon resort, the yacht was merely absurd. None but an idiot could have had the preposterous notion of honeymooning on a fifty-ton yacht. Alice did not reflect upon the dangerous folly and the bad form and the gross inefficiency of making a scene on the third day of your second honeymoon. She did not even reflect that man is held to be a reasoning animal. She reflected simply and exclusively upon her predicament, which was surely the most singular predicament that a bride had ever found herself in. But she did not disclose her thoughts. No, to external view, she was a charming, capable, sensible little yachtswoman in an agreeable blue jumper and blue skirt, 
wandering to and fro in and on the yacht interesting herself in its construction and its life and behaving to all the men with the delicatest feminine sweetness to jim she was acquiescence embodied the irritation shown in the bunk had completely vanished night fell and a red eye shone forth from the land she learned that it indicated a jetty on an island which in mid-blackwater was devoted to the reclamation of habitual drunkards she was suddenly inspired let's row ashore shall we she suggested persuasively but the island's private you know said jim here referring to the affair of the propeller she might have revolted and said angrily of course you're against anything i want many women in her place would have said just that but alice was determined to be efficient and so she said with increased persuasiveness still it would be a bit of a lark wouldn't it jim gave the order to lower the launch and they were taken ashore and the launch instructed to return in an hour half an hour would have sufficed for alice's purposes but the captain and two of the crew were also in the launch and had to go down river to fill six beakers with fresh water from a well in the vicinity which job could scarcely be accomplished in less than an hour four now said jim shall we take a stroll and look for reformed drunkards i think we'll just stay where we are alice answered i must have an understanding with you she spoke firmly but quietly the desire to make a noise seemed to have left her now that she was free to make a noise without making a scandal both inside and out she was the self-possessed woman again the model of efficiency and sagacity not merely in appearance but to her own secret judgment oh certainly said jim with calmness let's understand she was nettled because she thought she detected irony in his powerful almost brutal masculine voice i've already told you that i think peter ought to apologize to me he hasn't apologized to me quite the contrary ah jim answered i knew that was on your mind you're an a one actress but i'm an a one dramatic critic and he proceeded and what's more i've already told you that pete's a friend of mine and i don't like to hear my wife call my friends fools she then burst out into one of the most voluptuous of human passions over-righteous indignation she didn't want any more to be self-possessed efficient sagacious nor to be an exemplary wife nor to teach a barbaric husband by the force of christian example nor to do any of the things that serious young wives very properly want to do she just wanted to let herself go and she did the mysterious and terrible potion had been brewing for several hours it now boiled over surging magnificently upwards as a geyser shoots out of the ground she was at last free of the captivity of the yacht there was none to overhear, and no eye to see except the red eye on the jetty. "'That's just like you,' she cried. "'It's just like you. You're ready to risk the whole of our married life in order to indulge your brutality. You once said you were a brute, and so you are. We've scarcely been three days together, and yet you're spoiling for a row. You think you can browbeat me, you and your crew. You can't. You've all done nothing but laugh at me since I went on board.' look how you all stood round and smiled condescendingly when i steered and evan knows i only took the helm because you asked me to you're all as thick as thieves together and i'm nobody i'm only a woman a doll to be petted and laughed at do you imagine i wanted to steer your precious yacht 
indeed no give me an atlantic liner that's what i say your crew do what they like with you and you're such a simpleton you can't see it they flatter you and you're so conceited you swallow it all and shouldn't i just like to see the food bills for your precious yacht why there's been as much meat cooked for us two in these last three days as will keep a family for a fortnight you pay your crew wages that include their food and then instead of buying their own food they live on ours it's as plain as a pikestaff in a short pause that followed jim said don't let me interrupt you tell me when you've quite done and then i'll make a short speech but if you think i'm going to lose my temper old woman you're mistook alice resumed i said peter was a fool so he is but he's also a lout and what's worse he's a thief he steals your food then jim taken unawares lost his temper the battle was joined a big steam tug passed slowly up the river a noisy but a noble phenomenon in the night they did not notice it they noticed nothing except their own dim forms pale faces and glinting eyes heard nothing but their own voices and the crunching of their restless feet on the caked mud of the foreshore the old earth was whirling round with incredible velocity amid uncounted millions of starry bodies of which it was nearly the very least the mystery of life was unfathomed the structure of society was shaken and cracked tens of thousands of children were starving in europe frightful problems presented themselves on every side for solution the future of the world was dark with fantastic menaces and the great beauty and wistfulness of nature were unimpaired by all these horrors but alice and jim ignored everything save the gratification of their base and petty instincts they were indeed a shocking couple the moon rose the solemn lovely moon that was drawing incalculable volumes of water out of the ocean into the estuary of the black water and alice snapped what i say i stick to and i tell you another thing all red-headed men are the same a strange glow appeared on the yacht they did not see it peter hailed faintly from the yacht they did not hear him they were indulging themselves after restraint they had gone back to the neolithic age after too much civilization and the whole fracas was due to the fact that on a small yacht everybody can hear everything the ignoble altercation was suddenly cut short by the grating of a boat's keel on the muddy shingle peter in the dinghy yacht's afire sir peter called grimly and so it was they could see flames coiling like snakes about the region of the saloon hatch jim came back to civilization in an instant well why haven't you put it out you fool instead of coming here to tell me do you want the bally ship to be burnt to the water's edge can't find the extinguisher sir it's supposed to hang in the small cabin but it isn't on its hook and we've run out of water on account of missy's bath not as canvas buckets would be much good my dog cried alice she'll be roasted alive i've brought her ashore said peter pitching the animal out of the dinghy ah jim rushed to the boat's nose shoved her back into the water and sprang aboard pull like the devil stop shouted alice i know where the extinguisher is she plunged fifi in her arms into the dark water and was dragged into the dinghy 
not only had she transgressed the rules of the yacht by taking fresh-water baths but she had moved the parine extinguisher from its hook into a locker in order to get another hook for her dresses the small cabin had been allotted to her for a attiring room and her attire was all over it wonderful it was how one small valise could carry all she wore she had taken things from the valise and more and more things in the manner of a conjurer taking draper's shops flower shops and zoological gardens out of one small hat once aboard the vessel she plunged devotedly through smoke into the bowels thereof and ascended again with the extinguisher in three minutes the fire was out it appeared that someone with a british sense of humour had thrown a piece of burning rope from the tug the rope had dropped on to the saloon hatch the roof of the said hatch was severely damaged and the coat of the mainsail a little charred but that was the limit of the catastrophe five the yacht was speeding up the black water in the moonlight towards malden james thorpe with all the dark fire of his nature having determined at once to hunt the flame-scattering tug and get the law of it he was in possession of what he considered to be sound circumstantial evidence of the tug's guilt james himself had taken the wheel alice reclined at his feet fifi reclined at alice's feet the captain and crew were forward alice was perfectly happy she had never really been unhappy and especially had she not been unhappy in her nervous outpouring of riotous temper but now she was in a kind of bliss a bliss which was heightened by certain pinpricks these pinpricks came from the facts one that she had upset the marvellous functioning of the ship by misplacing the fire extinguisher two that she had upset the marvellous economy of the ship by using fresh water instead of salt water for her baths and three that james in his enormous magnanimity had refrained from twitting her about these lapses she reflected that owing to pressure of patriotic and other business she had not lost her temper for several years and probably would not lose it again for several years and at any rate to have lost it and safely found it so early in marriage and with such an agreeable result was not a bad thing for it had amounted to a desirable and successful experiment her powerful common sense told her that there was a process in marriage known as settling down that this process had to be gone through by all couples and that she and jim were getting through it quickly and brightly she knew that she need not apologize to jim and indeed that he would hate for her to apologize to him she apologized by a touch a glance a tone and by sitting at his feet peter came aft to the little deck larder that was forward of the saloon skylight pete sir don't buy any more meat to-morrow until you've spoken to the mistress about it no sir peter departed jim lowered his face and murmured you know you've got to admit that old pete isn't a fool alice had already fully absorbed the truth that peter was not a fool a man who placed as peter was placed had had the presence of mind to think of the dog and bring the dog to safety ashore such a man could not possibly be a fool as for being the other thing that she had called him 
of course that was absurd and she had not meant it no she fully admitted in the privacy of her mind that she had been hopelessly wrong to call peter a fool but what she murmured to jim in reply was why you called him a fool yourself jim pinched her arm cruelly but she dared not cry out lest she should be overheard therefore she suffered in silence and enjoyed the suffering end of story seven